0: Hey, everyone. It's Tristan. Recently, I sat down with veteran tech journalist Kara Swisher for her podcast On with Kara Swisher. And we thought about sharing that interview directly here with you on your undivided attention. Because as you'll hear, you know, there's really no one better than Kara to challenge people to articulate, you know, what's really going on about a situation. A lot of people have called Aza and I fearmongers or doomsayers. And the point of our AI Dilemma presentation is not to sow fear or doom. It's to say we have to honestly assess the risks so that we can choose to take the actions that are needed to avoid those risks. And I think this interview did a really great job of distilling you know, a lot of our current thinking on AI since the space is moving incredibly fast. So if you're a new listener or you want to send this to friends, family, or broader network, it's a great way into the AI topic. And if you like it and you want to hear more of Kara's interviews with folks like Sam Altman, Reed Hoffman, and others, go to wherever you're listening to this podcast and search for On with Kara Swisher. And now... Over to Kara.
1: Welcome, Tristan. Now, you and I met. Let's go back a little bit. Um, when you were concerned about social media, I think it was one of the first interviews
0: it you was did. 2016, 2017. Right. It was, I think it was right after Trump had gotten elected. That's correct. And I kind of was really choosing to come out and yeah. Say you know, in you know, a little I were both. booth
1: in Stanford. I remember, I remember that the Stanford small. Radio. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: But what, talk about for people who don't know you. Both of us are probably seen as irritants mm-hmm. um, or 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 um, Cassandra's. I guess mm-hmm. which she was right. But um, yeah. whatever. John the Baptist. Any any of those precursors <laughs> <John> Bars- um, <laughs> yeah. lost his head. Okay. Um, talk about <laughs> what tracker, got right. you concerned in the first place, just very briefly for people to understand.
0: Yeah. So I guess for people who don't know my background, I was a tech entrepreneur. I had a tiny company called Apture. We got talent acquired by Google. Uh, In college, I was part of a class called the Stanford Persuasive Technology Lab, behavior design class, and studying the field of social psychology, persuasion, and technology. How does technology persuade people's attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors? Um, And then I saw how those techniques were were the mechanisms of the arms race to engage people with attention. Because how do I get your attention? I'm better at pulling on a string in the human brain, in the Mm -hmm. human mind. And so I became a design ethicist at Google after releasing a presentation inside the company in 2013 saying that we were uh, stewarding the collective consciousness of humanity. We were rewiring the flows of attention, the the Mm -hmm. flows of information, the flows of relationships. I sort of said, you know, I'm really worried about this. I actually thought the presentation was going to get me fired. Mm -hmm. And instead I became a design ethicist getting to study so we'll How would you we give you a job of yes. these
1: worries? Right? It's better
0: than me leaving and uh, right. doing something else. Right. But I, I tried to change Google from the inside for three years before uh, leaving.
1: When you look back on that, I think they wanted to have you there. You're kind of like a house pet, right? Like I don't I mean, so, but you know what I mean. Like oh, we got a design. Definitely
0: a friendly over here. House
1: Yeah, pet. I know, but they don't like the house pets that bite, and you started to bite.
0: Yeah. Well, I think um, you know it's it, well, it's funny now because if you look at when we get to AI, which we're going to get to later people who started AI companies actually started with the notion of we can do tremendous damage with what we've created. Mm -hmm. There's a whole field of AI safety and AI risk. Now imagine if when we created social media companies, Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey and all these guys said, we can wreck society. We need to have a whole field yeah. of social media safety, social yeah. media risk. And they had actually had safety teams from the very beginning they figuring out... They hated you know, when
1: you brought up negative things.
0: Yeah, they hated it. They, they denied that there was even any issue. And mm-hmm. it was hard to see the issue. And we had to right. fight for the idea, you and I, that mm-hmm. there was these major issues. Um, addiction, polarization, narcissism, validation seeking, sexualization of kids, online harassment, bullying, yes. these are all digital fallout of the race to the bottom of the brainstem for attention, the race to be more and more aggressive mm-hmm. about attention. Right. Um, so I was, I was frustrated that, that especially Facebook, because I had more contact with that company, uh, wasn't going to do more, and that people were in denial about it. And it goes back to the Upton Sinclair quote, you can't get someone to question something that their salary depends on them not seeing.
1: Yeah, and their boss, their boss who runs everything. He really was, it's like a, like a brick wall on yeah, that. We're
0: a type. neutral mirror for society. We're mm-hmm. just showing you the unfortunate facts about how your society yeah. already feels and works. Yeah,
1: I kept saying, finish college, you'll understand. You yeah. might want to take World War II, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Throw in some Vietnam War and perhaps, you know, go back to World War I. Because it's all like, you know, that's recent history. Yeah. Um, so a couple of months ago, you and Asa released, had a presentation that I went to here in Washington called yeah. The AI Dilemma. Um, laying out the fears, you know, I think there's there's a proclivity to say calm down. It's don't be so terminator. There's a proclivity to say don't be so sunshine. Yeah. Right, that there's let's focus not on the existential fears but the current the ones we can work on. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the um, one of the people that have been working on it feel like you can't guess what it's going to do at this point, um, and that when you get overly dramatic, it's a real problem. Do you— Do you? yours was pretty dramatic when you were doing it in front of a group of Washington people.
0: When you say you can't guess what it's going to do, what, what do you—
1: what, What's going to happen with this? Like, that we don't know, so let's deal with our current fears versus our supposed fears.
0: I, I, yeah, I- I disagree. So first of all, there's there's a whole bunch of harms of AI, and mm-hmm. all the stuff around bias and fairness and mm-hmm. yeah, automating job applications and police algorithms mm-hmm. and loans, and those issues are super important, and they affect kind of um, you know the the safety of society as it exists. I think the things that we're worried about are the ways that the deployment of AI can undermine the container of society working at all. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, cyber attacks that can break critical infrastructure, water systems, mm-hmm. nuclear systems. Um, you know, the ability to uh, undermine democracy at scale.
1: Uh, you know, in Silicon Valley, it's common for AO researchers to ask each other what their it's called P doom, the probability of yeah. doom.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: explain what P doom is calculating, and tell me what's your P doom.
0: So I don't. I don't know if I have a P doom. I would say that. We and you were sort of. I want to make sure I go back to the thing you mm-hmm. were saying earlier. Can we predict what's going to happen? I would say mm-hmm. we can predict what's going to happen, and I don't mean that it's doom. What I mean is that a race dynamic where if I don't deploy my AI system as fast as the other guy, right, I'm going to lose to the guy that is deploying super fast. So if right. Google, that's for example, internally
1: capitalist companies, and then also other countries.
0: Yes, exactly, mm-hmm. and and that's just a multipolar trap, a right. classic race race to the cliff. Mm-hmm. And so Google, for example, had been holding back many advanced AI capabilities in yes. the lab, yeah. not deploying them because they thought they were not safe. Yeah. When Microsoft and OpenAI hit the starting gun and said in November, we're gonna launch ChatGPT, and then boom, we're gonna integrate that into Bing and actually make this like mm-hmm. the way you know we're gonna make Google dance, as Satya Nadella said. Right. That hit the starting gun on a market. A, a pace of market competition,
1: right? They that have has, to.
0: Then now everybody is going. We have to, yeah. And we have to what? We have to unsafely, recklessly deploy this as fast as possible,
1: so that we are out front. Like so my that, Google just asked me to write an email. They yeah. usually want to finish sentences now. Right. They're like, "Can I write this email for you?" I was like. Go fuck yourself! No, right. I don't want you to.
0: Right. Well, and then Slack has to took it well. Slack has to integrate their yeah. thing um, mm-hmm. and integrate a, ch- a chatbot, and then you know, Snapchat integrates my AI bots mm-hmm. into the way that it works. And Spotify, if, if TikTok, and I haven't even seen the Spotify one. I mean, the point is, it's can, you can. This is what I mean by you can predict the future because right. what you can predict is that everyone that can integrate AI in a dominating way to mm-hmm. become, in the case for the race to engagement in AI, it's the race to intimacy. Who can mm-hmm. have the dominant relationship slot in your life? You know, if Snapchat. AI has a relationship with a 13-year-old mm-hmm. that they have for four years, are they going to switch to TikTok or the next AI... When it comes out. No, because they've already built up a relationship and with the that AI's one. Unless AI is
1: everywhere and then you have lots of
0: relationships like right, you do but, in life. But they'll, what they'll want to be incentivized to do is to deepen that relationship, to personalize it, to have known everything about you and to mm-hmm. really care about uh, you. you don't
1: leave me now. Don't leave me now.
0: Of- and, you know, right. I mean, even Facebook did that when you wanted to delete your account yeah. in 2016. You they really would say, leave. Do you really want to leave? And they would literally put up photos of the five friends and they would calculate which of the photos, which, which five friends could I show you that would mm-hmm. most dissuade you yeah, from yeah, doing that. Yeah. And so now we're going to see more and more sophisticated. Versions of those kinds of things. Yeah. But that race to intimacy, that race to um, become that slot in your life, the race to deploy, the race to therefore move recklessly, yeah. those are all predictable factors. Mm-hmm. So just to be clear, because you're sort of challenging me, yeah. you know, can we predict where this is going? And the, the point is we can predict that it was going to go so recklessly and go so quickly, because we're also deploying this faster than we deployed any other technology That's correct, in yeah. history. So the most consequential technology, the mm-hmm. most powerful technology we have ever deployed, and we're deploying it faster than any other one in history. So, for example, it took Facebook four and a half years to get to 100 million users. It took TikTok nine months. It took ChatGPT, I believe, two months.
1: And they have the app now. Yeah. But in the presentation, in, in that vein, you cite a study where 50% of AI researchers say that doom their doom is 10% or higher. Mm-hmm. But it's based on a non-peer-reviewed survey. On a single question survey, they had only about 150 responses. Um, should we be swayed by that data, that they're worried? Because there is that ongoing theory that the people who make this are worried, the cooks are worried about...
0: Yeah, so making. one critique of that survey is mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's somehow all about AI hype, that the mm-hmm. people who are answering the survey are people inside the companies who want mm-hmm. to hype the capabilities so that people get, they get more funding and that everybody sure. thinks it's bigger than it actually is. Sure. But the people who answered that survey were machine learning researchers who, mm-hmm. who actually published papers and conferences. <laughs> they're the people right. who actually know this stuff the best. Sure. If you go inside the industry and talk to the people who build the stuff, it's much higher than that survey mm-hmm. is. Again, this is why we're doing oh, this, Oh, I was right? at a
1: dinner party years ago when they yeah. were top people. Like, it yeah. was, I was sort of like, huh, that's
0: yeah, interesting. Yeah, the very type of people. I mean, don't trust a yeah. survey. Trust, there's a, a document of all the quotes of all the founders of AI companies over all the years of saying these quotes about we're going to wipe out, you know, there's a strong chance we'll wipe out humanity, we'll mm-hmm. probably go extinct. They're not talking about jobs. They're talking about a whole bunch of other scenarios. Right. So don't let one survey be the thing. We're just trying to, you know, take one data people point. Are people, people are worried. People are deeply worried.
1: Yeah. You use the metaphor of a golem. Mm-hmm. Explain the golem.
0: So the reason that we actually came up with uh, that phrase to describe it is that people have often said, and this is pre GPT four coming mm-hmm. out, like, why are we suddenly so worried about AI? AI has existed for twenty years. Indeed we haven't freaked hasn't. out about it until now. And you know, Siri still mispronounces my name, and Google Maps still says my you know pronounces the, the street address that I live on wrong. And why are we suddenly so worried about AI? And so one of the things that in our own work and trying to figure out how we would explain this to people. Was sort of realizing that we needed to tell the part of the story that in 2017 AI changed because a new type of AI, sort of class of AI, came out called transformers. Mm-hmm. It's 200 lines of code. It's based in deep learning. That technology created um, this this brand new explosive wave of AI mm-hmm. that are based on generative large language multimodal models, mm-hmm. GLLM. Mm-hmm. We said. How can we differentiate right. this new sort of era of AI that we're in mm-hmm. from the past so that people understand why this curve is so explosive and vertical? Right. And so we said, okay, let's let's give that a name so that people can track it better. As mm-hmm. public communicators, As and I care deeply about precise communication. So we just said, let's call them Gollum class AIs.
1: And a Gollum, of course, is the...
0: Famous. The Jewish myth of an inanimate object that then is sort of gains uh, animate capabilities. Right. And that's one of the other factors about generative large language models is that as you pump them with more information and more compute and you train on them, mm-hmm. and they actually gain new capabilities that the engineers themselves didn't program into them.
1: Right, that they're learning. They are learn things, right. yeah. Now, let me be clear. You do not believe these are sentient.
0: No, and this has nothing to do with... The, Make what that they're, clear.
1: Yeah. They're not humans.
0: There's this fascinating tendency when human beings like, think about this, where they get obsessed with the question of whether they can think. Sci-fi. Sci-fi. That's why. Yeah. But it actually kind of demonstrates just kind of like a a predispositions of humans. So imagine Neanderthals are baking Homo sapiens in a lab, and they become obsessed with the question when it comes out, when this thing is more intelligent, is it going to be sentient like Neanderthals? It's just a bias of how our brains work. Right. When really... the way that, what really matters is can you anticipate the capabilities of something that's more, smarter than you so imagine mm-hmm. you're a Neanderthal you're living in a Neanderthal brain you can't think about humans once they pop out inventing computation inventing energy sure. inventing oil-based hydrocarbon economies right. inventing you know language right so we um, don't know
1: which you're essentially saying we don't know we, yeah. it's, it's inconceivable what it is but it's not sentient and I think that's because then we attribute emotions to it like right. it
0: would well we just it does. It, it, maybe eventually those questions will matter but they're just mm-hmm. not the questions that matter the questions whether or not it is se- uh, sentient, it doesn't have to be. No. There's enormous dangers that can just emerge from just growing these capabilities and entangling this new alien intelligence with society faster than we actually know what's right. there. Right,
1: alien is an interesting word that you use um, mm. because it's one that Elon Musk used many years ago. He said they treat us like aliens would treat a house cat. Mm-hmm. But then he changed it to we're an anthill and they're making a highway. They don't really, they're not mad at us. No. They don't care.
0: No, they just—they're just doing things from their perspective that make sense. sense. Makes to sense. Makes sense. But so, just, just like, by the way, just like social media was. Mm-hmm, right. Social media was doing. So, social media already. Let me let me argue that AI might have already taken control of humanity mm-hmm. in the form of first contact with AI, which is social media. Mm-hmm. What are all of us running around the world doing every day? What are all of our political fears? What are all of our oh, elections? Sorry. They're all driven by social media. We've mm-hmm. been in the social media AI like brain implant for 10 years. Mm -hmm. We don't need an Elon Musk brain implant. We already have one. It's called social media. It's Mm -hmm. been feeding us the worldviews and the Mm umwelts that define how we see reality for 10 years. And the noisiest people, yeah. And the noisiest people. And that has warped our collective consciousness. Mm -hmm. And so are, are you free if all the information you've ever been looking at has already been determined by an AI for the last 10 years? And you're running confirmation bias on a stack of stuff That has been pre-selected from the outrage selection feed Mm -hmm. of Twitter and the rest of it. And so you could argue that AI has already taken over society in a subtle way. I don't mean taken over in the sense that its values are driving us, but in the sense that, you know, just like we don't have regular chickens um, anymore, we have the kind of chickens that have been domesticated for their, their, you know, their their meat. We don't have regular cows. We have the kind of cows that have been domesticated for their, their milk and their meat. We don't have regular humans anymore. We have AI engagement-optimized humans.
1: So one of the things you did, you and Asa did, was you made a lot of news when you tested Snapchat's AI, it's my AI, I called, uh, as if you were a 13-year-old that gave him advice how to set the mood for sex with a 35-year-old. Stunty. Um, they've... Fixed it. They, they think they've fixed is it. Is it
0: tested it a few days ago? It still happens. It still happens. It doesn't... It's suggesting you bring candles for your first romantic time with a 13-year-old with a 38- or 41-year-old, I think right. it was. Um, so it doesn't say a couple of the suggestions, but it still does say some of those things. And you so can still get it to those things. By the way, I've gotten yes, emails it, from parents yeah. since we gave that presentation, and their kids have independently found Tried it, it doing things like doing that. Doing
1: things like that. So yeah. it's still not... It's still... They they just can't anticipate all the problems.
0: Well, Talk- it's actually more than that. It's just important for listeners to know... Um, just to be fair to Snapchat, they actually did not roll that my AI mm-hmm. bot out to all of its, I can't right. remember if it's 700 million users. Right. They didn't roll it out to all their users. They rolled it out to only paid subscribers at first, which is something like two to three million users. But of course, um, just two weeks ago or something like that, they uh, they released it to all their users. Why mm-hmm. do they do that? Because they're in a race, race. to dominate that right. intimate spot right. in your life. Everyone wants to be the Scarlett Johansson, her AI bot in your ear.
1: You both signed a letter calling for the six-month pause on giant AI experiments. Elon did too. Elon Musk did too. Uh, it's
0: unfortunate that that letter got um, defined by Elon's participation in yes, it. Yes, because he looked were, like he
1: was doing his own business. Well, so,
0: later, like, obviously, he then yeah. also started his own yeah. AI company, and so obviously it delegitimizes—
1: Yeah, he also uh, laughed and said he knew it would be futile to sign it. So why make that? Many people think it was a futile effort.
0: Well, these are, these are separate topics. I want to make sure we really mm-hmm. slow down and, okay. and actually okay. uh, distinguish here. The founders of the field of machine learning started that, you know, helped sign that letter. Steve Wozniak started the letter. The co-founder mm-hmm. of Fury signed, uh, mm-hmm. Siri uh, signed the letter. Um, uh, Andrew Yang, et cetera, uh, all of us at Center for Humane Technology. That letter is because the Overton window of society about how unsafe and dangerous this is. Is, was not well known. Mm-hmm. The purpose of that letter was to make it very well known that this field is much more dangerous right. than what people okay. con- understand. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a legitimate. I was, you know, we know the Future of Life Institute folks who. Who were Really, kind of spearheading the letter, mm-hmm. there was a lot of debate about what is the appropriate time to call for a slowdown. And by the way, I think slowdown is also badly named. On retrospect, I think something like redirection of all the mm-hmm. energy of those labs into safety work and safety research and guardrails. So it's imagine it's six months of instead of an AI winter, an AI harvest, an AI summer where mm-hmm. you harvest the benefits that you have. You do understanding on what are the capabilities inside of everything that's been released. Did
1: you imagine this was going to happen that they were that they would go? Oh yes, oh yes, I see your point. Well,
0: you sure. know, connected to the team that that did it, and kind of being privy to some of the internal conversations, I think people were we were all surprised how many incredible people did sign the letter. They did. Yeah, many people signed the letter. It's funny that people look at it and maybe say this is futile, but it's like saying, you know, uh, it, it, just because something is hard doesn't mean it shouldn't be the intention. Mm-hmm. And one of the interesting things is that if, if you talk to an engineer and you say, "Oh, like we're going to build this AGI thing," and they're like, "Oh, that sounds really hard," but it's like but we're so compelled by the idea of building. These AI systems, these AGI systems—a god that I could talk to—that they say I don't care how hard it is, and so they keep racing towards. it. And it's been thirty, you know, one hundred years that we, are, whatever, fifty years that people have been working on this. Mm-hmm. In other words, we don't, we don't say because something's hard, uh, we shouldn't keep going and try to build it anyway. Whereas if I say coordination is hard for the whole world, people say, oh, let's let's just throw up our hands and say it's never going to happen, right? We need to get good at coordination. All of our world's problems right, are coordination problems. Right, we do it with nuclear problems. energy. We do it with
1: a lot of things. Yeah, we we're able so to limit with- nukes
0: to nine countries. Just to hold a, okay. put a pin on it, though, if I said, you know, it's, in, it's inevitable that all countries are going to get nukes. Mm-hmm. Let's not do anything about it. In fact, let's just let every country pursue it and just, like, not do anything. We probably wouldn't be here today. Right. A lot of people had to be very concerned about it and, and move into action to say something different needs but, to happen. But
1: people can— a nuclear war we got. We saw it. It happened with the atom bomb. So yep. tell me, give me your best case against a pause. And one of the more compelling criticisms is the U.S. is going to fall behind China. This is something I heard from Mark Zuckerberg about social media in general or tech in general. Which, so is, which
0: is interesting. Because China, China I would oh, they argue use the same
1: she me argument every time. They like drag it out. But it's concerning. It is. It absolutely is. China has shown itself to have very few
0: I would governors say on say Unregulated deployment of AI would be the reason we lose to China. Mm-hmm. If worse actors do mm-hmm. ex- beat you mm-hmm. in dominance in deploying mm-hmm. AI, people with no morals, um, with no safety considerations, mm-hmm. um, with no concerns, with different values as a future of the world kind of society, you know, Chinese digital authoritarianism values or something like that, um, or Chinese Communist Party uh, values, then we, we certainly want to won't want to lose to that. So I, I think not if, if the. If there was a sincere risk that that would happen, there would be a good reason to say, let's, let's not okay. call for that. All right. But I would actually argue that the unregulated deployment of AI is what is causing the West to lose to China. Let me give you the example of social media. Social media was the unregulated deployment of mm-hmm. AI to society. The breakdown of democracy's ability to coordinate, because we no longer have for a shared... That's yeah. That's really good for the authoritarianism. Why are democracies backsliding everywhere around the world all at once? Barbara F. Walter wrote a book called um, How the Next Civil War Starts. She talks about monocracies, democracies that are backsliding everywhere. Uh, I'm not blaming it all on social media, but we're seeing it happen rapidly uh, in in all these countries that have been uh, governed by the information environment created by social media. Right. And if a society cannot coordinate, can it deal with poverty, can it deal with inequality, can right. it deal with climate so change? So we
1: shot ourselves in the foot and now we're going for the arms. Yeah, right, exactly. That kind of thing. So right, I, I'm going to go to, I've interviewed a number of times, one we did in 2017 as I said, before you and ASA founded the Center for Humane Technology. Back then you were focused on social media, as we discussed earlier, showing why revenue models built on monetizing our attention are bad for us, because a lot of this is about monetization yeah. and who going to have the next intimate relationship, which they've been trying to do forever in yep. different ways through Siri and all kinds of different things. But now they really want mm-hmm. you to be theirs, mm-hmm. essentially. Let's pay a clip from it.
0: Right now, essentially, you know, Apple, Google, and Facebook are kind of like these private companies who collectively are the urban planners of a billion people's uh, attentional landscape. You know, right. We all live <laughs> That's in, a great we all, way to put it. You know, we kind of all live in this invisible city. Right. Which and, they created. Which they created. And there's what's the question is, what's unlike a democracy where you have some civic representation and you mm-hmm. can say, well, who's the mayor? And mm-hmm. should there be a stoplight there, a stoplight on our phone, mm-hmm. or blinker signals between the cars, or these kinds of things? Uh, we don't have any representation except if we don't use the product no. or don't buy it. And that's not really representation because the city itself so is... So
1: attention taxation without
0: representation. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. but So I think you know, there's this question of how do we create that accountability loop?
1: You know that was very well put, and I we took it further. I said it's like the purge. They don't. They actually own the city, and they don't do anything. They don't. Oh, yeah. We can't do anything, and they they won't do anything. They have no stop signs. They have no streets. They have no sewage. Everything else. So I took your thought a step further. Um, could talk about AI firms becoming the new urban planners of the uh, I guess a, attentional landscape because that's what they want. It's more than attention they want. They want to own no. you, right? I mean, in, yeah. is what you're saying.
0: Well, so there's really. I want to separate between two different economies. So there's the engagement economy, which is the race to dominate, own, and commodify human experience. Mm -hmm. So that's the— Social media. Social media. Social Mm -hmm. media is the biggest player in that space. Right. Um, But VR is in that space. Mm -hmm. Um, YouTube is in that space. Netflix is in that space. It's the race to say— Look at me. Look at me. All the the things that construct your reality that determine from the moment you wake up and your eyes open to the moment your eyes close at the end of the night, who owns— that Your attention. Space. Mm-hmm. That's the engagement economy. That's the attention economy. And there are specific actors in that space. AI will be applied to that economy, just like AI will be applied to all sorts of other economies. Mm-hmm. Also, the cyber hacking economy, AI will be applied to the um, battery, you know, storage. So it's more like you know, the internet. Yeah. It's a bigger... AI is a much bigger thing. So there's a sub-part of the AI economy, which is the engagement economy, and AI will supercharge the harms of social media there because before we had people A-B testing a handful of messages on um, social media and figuring out like Cambridge Analytica, Mm -hmm. which one works best for each political tribe. Now you're going to have AIs that do that, and there's a paper out called um, I think it's called um, Silicon Sampling. So you can actually uh, uh, sample a virtual group. Like instead of running Franklins focus groups around Mm -hmm. the world, you can kind of have a um, a uh, language bot, uh, chat bot that you talk to, and it will answer questions as if someone is a 35 year old in Kansas City Mm -hmm. has two kids, and so you can run even perfect message testing.
1: Right, um, so you don't them. need to talk to people. So you
0: don't need to talk to people You know anymore. what
1: they're going to say. Yeah.
0: You can do a million things like that. And so the loneliness crisis that we see, the mental yeah. health crisis that we see, the sexualization of young kids that we see, the, mm-hmm. you know, online harassment person, uh, situation that we see, all that's just going to get supercharged with, with AI. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and the ability to... Um, create alpha persuade which is just like there was alpha go and alpha chess where mm-hmm. you know the system is playing chess against itself and kind of getting yeah, much, bored much better it's much better it's now going to be able to hyper manipulate you and hyper persuade you
1: so what you're talking about is social media as a as a lower being than ai ai powers everything social yeah. media is one but we couldn't even regulate social media um, is society because aware allowed- of the need for regulation since we didn't do it for social media
0: so the point we made in this ai dilemma presentation um, is that we were too late with social media because we waited for it to entangle itself with journalism, Mm -hmm. with media, with elections, with Mm -hmm. business. Because now businesses can only reach their consumers if they have an Instagram page and use marketing Mm -hmm. on Facebook and Instagram Mm -hmm. and so on. Social media captured too many of the fundamental life's organs of how our society works. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's been very hard to regulate. I mean, you know, certain parties benefit, certain politicians benefit. Can you regulate, would you want to ban TikTok if you're a a politician or a party that's currently winning a lot of elections by being really good at TikTok? Right. Right? So once things start to entangle themselves, it's very hard to regulate them. There's too many vested interests. With AI... We have not yet allowed this thing to roll out. I mean, now it's obviously happening incredibly fast. We gave the presentation a few months ago. The whole point of it was before GPT-4 was we need to act before this happens. Mm-hmm. One good example of this happening in history was a treaty to ban l- blinding laser weapons from the mm-hmm. battlefield before they were actually to ever blind used the to blind soldiers. Yes, this would be a high-energy laser mm-hmm. that has just the capability to point at everyone, and it just blinds them. But we're just like, you know what? In the game of war, which is a ruthless game where you kill other human beings— mm-hmm. Even as ruthless as that game that's is, cheating, right? that is just a, we don't want to allow that. Mm-hmm. And even before it was ever deployed, that was a, one of maybe the most optimistic examples where humanity could mm. sort of use our higher selves to recognize it that's a future goes into the killer
1: game. robot part of the portion yeah. of the show, right?
0: Right, then there's the slaughterbots. How do we ban autonomous weapons? How do we ban uh, recombinant D- uh, DNA um, uh, engineering and, mm-hmm. and um, human cloning, things yes. like this? And so this is another one of those situations, and we need to look to, especially the example of the blinding laser weapons, because that was in advance of the technology ever getting fully deployed. Because Mm -hmm. a lot of the kind of... um, guardrails that we're going to need internationally are going to be saying no one would want that future race to happen. So let's right. prevent that race. Right,
1: So, but that's nation-states. Now, AI, anybody could do it. The same thing with CRISPR, though. They definitely, the scientists got together and had standards. And this is much easier to, to be able to to do what you want if we are all in a group together coordinating
0: this. So if um, I want to steelman the AI doomers mm-hmm. and the P-doomers that mm-hmm. have a really high number for that P-doom number, mm-hmm. it's because it's so hard mm-hmm. to prevent the proliferation that, some people, that many yes. people think that we're doomed. Just right. to really clear and why that's also a very legitimate thing. That is certainly... That would be from, my
1: biggest pre This is too easy for it's lots It's
0: too easy. So let, let's just hang there for a moment. Mm-hmm. Just really recognize that. Mm-hmm. That's not being a doomer. That's just being an honest viewer of mm-hmm. these are the risks. Now, if something other were to happen, you know, you could involve... You know, governments and law to say, "Hey, we need to get maybe more restrictive about GitHub and Hugging Face and where these models go. Mm-hmm. Maybe we need export controls." There are people who are working on models of how do we, just like there's three um, D printed guns as a file, as a mm-hmm. file, you know, you can't just send those around the open internet. Yeah. Um, we don't we, we put export controls on those kinds of things. Right. It's a dangerous kind of information. So now imagine there's a new kind of information that's not a 3D printed gun, but it's like a 3D printed gun that actually self-replicates and self-improves and gets into a bigger and build bigger itself. gun. And builds itself. That's a new class. That's not just free speech. The founding fathers couldn't anticipate um, something that self-replicates and self-improves being a class of speech. That's not the kind of speech that they were trying to protect. Right. Part of what we need here are new legal categories for these new kinds of speech.
1: Sam Alton, who runs OpenAI, was on the Hill calling for AI regulation. They all are. You can't say you didn't warn them, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of tech CEOs have claimed they want regulation, but they've also spent a lot of money previously on stopping antitrust, stopping uh, algorithmic transparency, stopping any privacy regulation. Do you believe this class of CEOs? Because a lot of them are saying, this is dangerous. Would you please regulate this?
0: Yeah, so you're pointing to what happened with social media, which mm-hmm. was that publicly they would say, we need regulation, we would rec- regulation need regulation. Mm-hmm. When you talk to the they staffers— They never said,
1: this is dangerous, we need— He's They never said saying, dangerous.
0: He says dangerous. He says dangerous. Yeah. And I, I want a golf clap that, you know— we always want to endorse and, and celebrate when there is actually an mm-hmm. honest recognition of the risks. I mean, to Sam Altman's credit, he has been saying in public settings, yeah. um, I think much to the chagrin of maybe the, uh, his investors and other folks, that um, that there are existential risks here. I mean, mm-hmm. what CEO goes out there is saying this could actually wipe out humanity, and not mm-hmm. just because of jobs? Mm-hmm. I mean, so there's a we should celebrate that he's being honest about the risks. We actually do need an honest conversation about it. Um, However, as you said, in the history of social media, it is very easy to publicly advocate for regulation and then your policy teams follow up with all the staffers and then say, let me redline this, redline that, that's never going to work, and they just sort of stall it so nothing actually ever happens. I don't think it's that bad faith in this context. I do think that some kind of regulation is needed. Sam Altman talked about GPU licensing, licensing Mm -hmm. doing a training run, so if you're going to run a large frontier model, you're going to do a massive training run, you've got a license to do that. You're building a, just like we have the Wuhan Institute of Virology Mm -hmm. was a biosafety level four lab doing advanced You know, kind of gain of function research. If you're building a level four lab, you need level four practices and responsibilities. Mm -hmm. Even there, though, we know that that may not have been enough, whatever safety practices. We're now building AI systems that are super advanced. And the question is do we actually have? the safety practices. Are we practices. treating it like a
1: top well, lab? Well
0: the, well, the first thing is, are we treating it that way? And then the second is, do we even know what would constitute safety? So this is getting to the end question that you're asking. Mm-hmm. Can we even do this safely? Right. Is that even possible? Right. Because think of AI as like a biosafety level 10 lab. Imagine that we had something called, I'm inventing it right now, but a biosafety level 10 lab, where I invent a pathogen that the second it's released, it kills everyone instantly. Mm-hmm. Let's just imagine that that was actually possible. Mm-hmm. Well, you might say, well, let's let us let people have that scientific capacity. We want to just see, is that even possible? We want to test it so we maybe can build a vaccine or a prevention system. Mm-hmm. against a pathogen that could kill everyone instantly. But the question is to do that experimental research, what if there was we didn't have biosafety level 10 practices? Mm-hmm. We only had biosafety level 10 dangerous capabilities. Mm-hmm. Would we want to pursue biosafety level 10 labs? I think that AI, the question the deeper question is, with great power comes you cannot have the power of gods without the wisdom, love, and prudence of gods. And right now we are handing out and democratizing godlike mm-hmm. powers without mm-hmm. actually even knowing what would constitute the love, prudence, and wisdom that's needed for it. And the, I think the story in the parable of the Lord of the Rings is that there are some, you know, why, why did they want to throw the ring into, the, into Mount Doom? There's some kinds of powers that when you see them, you say, if we're not actually wise enough to hold mm-hmm. this ring and put it on, we have to know which rings we have to say, hey, let's collectively not put on that ring.
1: Right, I get that. I do, I, I understand that. One of the things is that when you get this dramatic, like I said at the beginning, does that push people off. Like, this is a pathogen we get. Like, Mm -hmm. we've just been through COVID and that was bad enough, and Mm -hmm. there's probably a pathogen that could kill people instantly. Um, It's not how people think.
0: Yeah, well, let's actually just make that example real for a second, Mm -hmm. because I'm not, that was a hypothetical thing of about safety level 10 thing. Um, Can AI uh, accelerate the development of pathogens and gain of function research Mm -hmm. and people tinkering with dangerous, lethal Mm -hmm. bioweapons? Can it democratize that? Can it make more people able to do that? More people be able to make household explosives with household materials? yes. We don't want that. That's really dangerous. That's a very concrete thing. That's not AI doomers. That's There's real right. concrete stuff okay. we have to respond to here.
1: We'll be back in a minute. tell me something that AI could be good for, because I talk about that, because I think I'm a little less extreme than you. There are, and I think at the beginning of the internet, I was like, this could be great. And of course, then you saw them not worrying about the not so great. And I think it's sort of that tools and weapons, speaking of which from Microsoft, that was the Microsoft uh, president, Brad Smith, talked about tools and weapons. Some are a knife is a tool and a weapon. So what is the tool part of this that is a good thing?
0: So first of all, I I think this is another one of those things, just like we say, is the AI sentience? Mm -hmm. That when people hear me saying all this, they think I don't hear or don't know about or aren't talking about Mm -hmm. all the positives it can do. Mm -hmm. Mm It, this is another fallacy of how mm-hmm. human brains work. Yeah. Just like we get obsessed with the question of is it sentient, where we get obsessed with the, the one sidedness of one. Like it, it has all the positives. You can, um, just as fast as you can design cyber weapons with AI and accelerate the creation of that, you can also identify all the vulnerabilities in code or many vulnerabilities in code. You can um, invent cures to diseases. You can uh, invent new solutions for battery storage. We're going to have, as I said in Social Dilemma, what's going to be confusing about this era is it's simultaneous utopia and dystopia.
1: I can't think of so many good things about social media. I couldn't. There, I can oh, think of I, dozens here. Dozens here. And there I was like, maybe we'll all get along and do better Social like Social media other. is like, you
0: know, increasing the flows of information. People are able to maintain many more relationships. Yeah. Old high school sweethearts. Sure, love, but you know, mm, not like
1: this. This is gene folding. This is drug discovery. This is real yeah. movement forward.
0: Absolutely. Right. Uh, but I'll tell a story. I mean, so the, the real confusing thing is, is it possible on the current development path to get those goods without the bats? Mm-hmm. What if it was not possible? What if I can only get that, you know, the, the synthetic biology capabilities that let me solve problems, but also, there was no way to do it without also enabling
1: mm-hmm. that. guys to create this pathogen that right. you're talking about, for so example. I'll,
0: so just to make it personal, um, my mother died of cancer, mm-hmm. uh, and if you told me that there were, you know, I, like any human being, would do anything to have my mother still be here with me. Mm-hmm. And you, if you told me that there was an AI that was going to be able to discover a cure for my mother that would have her still be with him, me today, obviously I would want that cure. Mm-hmm. If you told me that the only way for that cure to be developed was to also unleash capabilities, that the world would get wrecked.
1: This is a dinner party, one of those dinner party questions. Would you kill 100 million people to save? But it's real. Yeah.
0: Or I mean, I'm just saying. People. There's certain domains where there's no way to do the one side without doing the other side. Right. And if you told me that, just really on a personal level, as much as I want my mom to be here today, I would not have made that trade. Well,
1: well, you're talking about an old Paul Virilio quote, which is, "You can't have a ship without a shipwreck, or electricity without the electric chair." That's we do that every day. A car is on net. Net cars have been great net they've been bad now you know what I mean
0: but but if you have godlike powers that can kind of break society in much more fundamental ways mm-hmm. so now again we're talking about benefits that are literally godlike yeah uh, invented solutions for every problem mm-hmm. but if it also just undermines the existence of how so life that's can your work.
1: greatest worry is this idea of 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 fracture reality fracturing in ways that're impossible to get all, back
0: all, all, no all, I mean all of it together if AI is unleashed and democratized to everybody, No matter how high the the tower of benefits that AI assembles, if it also simultaneously crumbles the foundation of that tower, it won't really matter. What what kind of society can receive a cancer drug? Mm -hmm. If no one knows what's true, there's cyber attacks everywhere, Mm -hmm. things are blowing up, and, um, you know, there's pathogens that have locked down the world again. Think about how bad COVID was. People forget, like, going through one pandemic, just one pandemic. Mm -hmm. Imagine that just happens, like, a few more times. Like... That can quickly—we saw the edges of our supply chains. We saw how much money had to be printed to keep the economy going. Mm-hmm. It's pretty easy to break society if you have a few more of these things going. Mm-hmm. And so, again, what? how will cancer drugs sort of flow in that society that has kind of stopped working? And I don't mean, again, AI doom, a- Eliezer Yudkowsky, AGI kills everybody sure. in one instant. I'm talking right. about dysfunction at a scale that is so much greater.
1: Are we getting closer to regulation? Did you find those hearings? Uh, did you have any good takeaways from them? And where is the, where is it going to go from here?
0: Who knows where it's going to go. I, I didn't see all of the hearing. I was happy to see a couple things, uh, which is based on structural issues. So one was actually the repeated discussion of multilateral um, bodies. So something like an IAEA, like the International Atomic Energy Agency, but something like that for AI that's actually doing global monitoring um, and, and regulation of, of AI systems, of large frontier AI systems. I think you know, Sam was proposing that. That was repeated several times. I was surprised to see that. I think that's actually great because it mm-hmm. is a global problem. What's the answer when we develop nuclear weapons? Is it that Congress passes a law to deal with nukes here? No. It's a global coordination around how do we limit nukes to nine countries? Mm-hmm. How do we make sure we don't do above-ground nuclear testing? So I was happy to see that in the hearing. I was also happy to see multiple members of Congress, including I think it was Lindsey Graham and some of the Republicans who are typically not for uh, new regulatory agencies, but them saying they recognize that that, we there's, that they we, we need one because the, the system is you know, E.O. Wilson, if we have paleolithic emotions, medieval institutions and godlike tech, medieval institutions and medieval laws, 18th century ideas, 19th century, you know, laws and ideas don't match for 21st century issues like mm-hmm. replicant speech. Larry Lessig has a paper out about replicant speech. Should we protect the speech of generative robots same we protect free speech? Mm-hmm. The founding fathers had totally different ideas about what that was about. No, we need to update uh, those laws. Part of our medieval institutions are institutions that don't move as fast as the godlike text. So if a virus is moving at 21st century speeds and your immune system is moving at 18th century speeds, your immune system being so regulation— So do you have
1: any hope for any significant reg- legislation? I mean, Vice President Harris met with—they're all meeting with everybody, for yeah. sure, and early compared to the I, other I don't remember,
0: care but when we, we did that briefing in D.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, back here in whatever it was, February or mm-hmm. March— um, we said one of the things we really want to happen is for the White House to convene a, le- a right. gathering of all the CEOs. Right. And that I would have never thought would have ever happened. And it did happen. Yes. I would have never and thought there would be it a hearing. And they mentioned the G7 this and week. And did it. They mentioned yeah. the G7 this week. So there's things that are moving. I don't want people to be optimistic, by the way. There needs to be a massive effort mm-hmm. and coordinated response to make the right things happen here.
1: Right. Vice President Harris led that meeting and told them they have ethical, moral, and legal responsibility to ensure the safety and security of their products. Uh, they certainly don't seem protected by Section 230. They're probably not protected. There is liability attack. Mm-hmm to some of this, which could be good.
0: That, that's good. Is there which any? We, find talking to inside, we talk to people inside the companies. Mm-hmm. one because All we're trying to do is figure out what needs to happen, and often the people inside the companies who work on safety teams will say, like, I can't advocate for this publicly, but, you know, we need liability. Because talking about responsibility and ethics just gets yeah, bulldozed liability. by incentives. Yeah. There needs to be liability that creates real guardrails. Right.
1: Let's do a lightning round. Um, what you would say to the following people if they were here right now. Sam Altman, CEO of OpenAI, what would you say to him, Tristan?
0: Gather all of the top leaders to negotiate a coordinated way to get this right. Move at a pace that we can get this right, including working with the Chinese and getting a multilateral uh, negotiations happening. And and say that that's what needs to happen. It's not about what you do with your company and your safety practices and how much so RLHF. So multilateral, but multi. get coordination.
1: Satya Nadella and Sundar Pichai, I'm going to mush them together.
0: Um, retract the uh, arms race. Instead of saying, let's make a cool dance, which is what Satya Nadella said, um, we have to find a way to, to move back into a domain of advanced capabilities being held back. Buying ourselves a little bit more time matters.
1: Yeah, well, he, they've been sick of being pantsed the entire last decade. I think they want to do that
0: Understood. in some fashion.
1: Uh, Reid Hoffman, Mustafa Suleiman, co-founders of uh, Inflection AI, which put out a chatbot this month.
0: I mean, I, honestly, it would be the same thing as with Sam. It's like, let's everyone needs to work together mm-hmm. to get this right. Okay. We need to see this as dangerous for all of humanity, right? This isn't us versus the tech companies. This is all of us are human beings, and there's dangerous outcomes that land for all of us. What so. about
1: Elon Musk? He signed the AI pause letter. and has been outspoken on the danger for years. He he was one of the earliest people that were talking about it, along with Sam, as I recall, a decade ago. But he, of course, started his own company, XAI, when he yeah. wants to get to the truth, AI. Whatever that means.
0: We need to escape this logic of, I don't think the other guys are going to do it right, so I'm going to therefore start my own thing to do it safely, which is how we got to the arms race that's now driving all the unsafety. Mm -hmm. And so the logic of, I don't believe in the way the other guys are doing it, and mostly for competitive reasons, probably underneath the hood, I'm Mm -hmm. doing my own thing. That logic doesn't work. He's very competitive.
1: Do you blame them personally for putting us at risk? or is it just one of these group things that everyone goes along
0: So there's this there's this really interesting dynamic where when there is a race which is the, all the problems are driven by races if I don't you know do the mining in that plate in that version you know place or if I don't do the deforestation I just lose to the guy that will right. if I don't dump the chemicals in my and competitors, I'll do it more do, safely. right I'll do it more safely so better me doing it than the other guy as long as I get my profit and so everyone has that self-reinforcing logic so there's races everywhere that are the real driver of most of the issues that we're seeing and there's a temptation once we diagnose it as a race, a bad race, to then absolve the companies of responsibility. Mm-hmm. I think we have to do both. Like, there's both a race, and also Satya Nadella and, and Sam, you know, helped accelerate that race in a way that actually we weren't trajectorying that way. There right. was human choices evolved mm-hmm. at that moment in the timeline. I talked to people who were, helped found some of the original AGI labs early in the day. They said, you know, if we go back 15 years, they would have said, let's put a ban on pursuing artificial general intelligence, building mm-hmm. these large systems that ingest the world's knowledge about everything. We don't need to do that. We should be building advanced applied AI systems like AlphaFold that says let's mm-hmm. do specific targeted research domains and applications. Mm-hmm. If we were living in that world, how different might we be? You know, we had three rules of technology we put in that AI dilemma presentation. When you invent a new technology, you create a new class of responsibilities. Second rule of technology: If the new technology you invent confers power, it will start a race. If I don't adopt the plow and start out competing the other society, I'll lose mm. to the guy that does adopt the plow. If I don't adopt social media to get car, more efficient about uh, car, yeah, etc., so that's it starts a race. Third rule of technology: If you do not coordinate that race, the race will end in tragedy. We need to become a society that is incredibly good at identifying bad games. Rather than bad guys, right now all we do so, have bad guys. We mm-hmm. have again CEOs that do bear some responsibility for some choices. But right now we're always just it, that drives up polarization because you you put all the energy into going after one CEO or one company right. when we have to get good at, at slaying well, bad. Except,
1: games. wouldn't you agree that one of the reasons social media got so out of whack was because of Mark Zuckerberg and his huge power? Like he had a power over the most big, the biggest thing, and just. Was both badly Mark Zuckerberg educated. made a
0: ton of bad decisions mm-hmm. while denying most of the har- many of the harms yes. most of the way through until just recently. You yep. know, including that it a, was a crazy idea that fake news had anything to do with
1: mm-hmm. yes, the election.
0: Um, you know, later they found the the you know the Russia stuff was oh this is all overblown. Which you know, I understand there's the um, Trump Russia stuff which is well, there may have been overblown stuff there, but the Facebook content um, uh, they said oh it didn't really reach that many people. And it ended up reaching 150 million Americans. No,
1: I get Facebook's it. Facebook's own research said that 64 I sat on the percent other of extreme. Side yeah, with exactly. him we could go
0: on for forever about that.
1: Jeffrey Hinton, who is known as one of the godfathers of AI, not the only one, had recently been sounding the alarm. Um, do you think others would follow suit? That was a big deal when he did that. It um, really was. I was. I was very aware of him in AI. Um, do you think it'll change the direction, or is he just Robert Oppenheimer saying, "I have become death"?
0: You know. One of the things that struck me both, you know, I came out too, right? I was an early person Mm -hmm. coming out and I've seen the effects of insiders coming out. Frances Haugen, the Facebook whistleblower, is Mm -hmm. a close friend of mine. And, you know, her coming out made a really big difference. Um, The social dilemma, I know, impacted her. It Mm -hmm. legitimized for many people inside the companies that they felt like something was wrong. And now many more people you know, came out. I think the more people come out, the more the big names come out, the Jeff Hinton's come out, it actually makes more people question it. Just, uh, I think this few days ago, there's now a street protest outside of DeepMind's headquarters in London saying we need to pause AI. I don't know if mm-hmm. you saw that. Like, no. I see
1: it's, it's comparable to climate
0: change in yeah, a lot the, of ways. There yeah. are real people inside their own companies that are saying there's a problem here, which is why it's really important that um, we, we, when the people who are making something who know it most intimately are saying there's a real problem here, when the had head product guy at Twitter says, you know, I don't let my own kids use social media. That's all you need to know about whether something is good or safe.
1: So one of the things, there's some proposals you brought up. There's one based on a work by Taiwan's digital minister who's so creative where a hundred regular people get in a room with AI experts and they come out with a proposal. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting one. You come up with one having a national televised discussion. The major AI labs, lead safety experts, and other civic actors talk on TV that's hard because then you get a, on one hand, on the I could see that working but not working.
0: Yeah, so you've done carefully. Let me explain the Taiwan one really quickly. Okay. Okay, so let's imagine, there, there's kind of two attractors for where the world is going right now. One attractor is, I trust everyone to do the right thing, and I'm going to distribute godlike AI powers, superhuman powers, to everyone. Mm-hmm. Everyone can build bioweapons. Everyone can make generative media, find loopholes in law, manipulate religions, do fake um, everything that's that world lands in continual chaos and catastrophe because it's just basically I'm handing everyone out the power to do anything. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, okay, so, everyone had superpowers, yeah.
0: Right. So that's that's one outcome. That's mm-hmm. one attractor. Think of it like a like a like a 3D field and it's kind of like sucking the world into one gravity well. It's just like yeah, continual catastrophe. Yeah. Like but go
1: ahead.
0: Yeah. The other side is dystopia, which is instead of trusting everyone to do the right thing with these superhuman powers, I don't trust anyone to do the right thing, so I create this sort of dystopian state that sort of has surveillance and monitors Mm -hmm. everyone. That's kind of the Chinese digital authoritarianism Mm -hmm. outcome. That's the other deep attractor for the world, given this new kind of tech that's entering into the world. So The world is currently moving towards both of those. And actually, as the more frequently the continual catastrophes happen, the more it's going to drive us towards the direction of the the dystopia. So Mm -hmm. in both cases, we're getting a self-reinforcing loop. So the reason I mentioned Taiwan is what we need is a middle way or third attractor, which is what has the values of an open society, a democratic society Mm -hmm. in which people have freedom. But instead of naively trusting everyone to do the right thing, instead of also not trusting anyone to do the right thing, we have what's called warranted trust. So think of it as a loop. Technology, uh, to the degree it impacts society, has to constitute a wiser uh, more responsible, more enlightened culture. Mm-hmm. A more enlightened culture supports stronger, upgraded institutions. Those upgraded institutions sets the right kind of regulatory or guardrails, mm-hmm. etc., for better technology that then is in a loop with constituting better culture. That's the upward spiral. We are currently living in the downward spiral. Technology decoheres, mm-hmm. addicts mm-hmm. outrage, lonelifies culture, Uh, That incoherent culture can't support any institutional responses to anything. That incapacitated, dysfunctional set of institutions doesn't regulate technology, which allows the downward spiral to continue. Mm -hmm. The upward spiral is what we need to get to. And the third way, what Taiwan is doing, is actually proving that you can use technology in a way that gets you the upward spiral. Audrey Tang's work is showing that you can use AI to find unlikely consensus across groups. You know, there's only so many people that can fit into that town hall mm-hmm. and get mad at each other. What if she creates a digitally augmented process where people put in all their ideas and opinions about AI and we can actually use AI to find the um, coherence, the, the shared areas that of agreement yeah. that we all share. And do that even faster than we could do without the tech. Right. So this is not techno-utopianism, it's techno-realism of applying the AI to get a faster loop, a faster observe, orient, decide, and act loop, so that the institutions are moving as fast as the evolutionary pace of technology. Mm-hmm. And she's got the best closest example to that. And that's kind of part of what a third attractor needs to identify. Right, so really, where, you have,
1: where you've, people feel that they've been putted and at the same time don't feel the need to scream. Right. Um, which is absolutely true. She's really quite something. Um, having a national debate about it, I think oh, people well, will maybe, just take away whatever they want from it.
0: Y- yeah, let me explain that though, which was that modeled after the film the day after. So in the mm-hmm. previous era of a new technology I that remember, had the I power to... I was in college when that yeah, happened. In college when I, when I came out. Mm-hmm. I was uh, not born yet, but Let I, me just
1: explain. This is a movie about the nuclear bomb blowing up, and they convened groups all over the country to talk about it, watch the movie, and then... Discuss it. And it, was it a, really was terrifying
0: it, at the time. A, but we were
1: all joined together yeah. in a way we're not anymore. I right. can't even imagine that happening right now.
0: It was a made-for-TV movie commissioned by ABC where the director, Nicholas Meyer, who also directed Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and some other great films, uh, they, they put together this film that was basically noticing that nuclear war, the possibility of it, existed in a kind of a repressed place inside the human mind. No one wanted to think about this thing that was ever-present. That actually was a real possibility because it was the active Cold War, and it was increasing and escalating with Reagan and, and Gorbachev. So they decided, let's make a film that became the largest made-for-TV watched film in all of t- TV history. 100 million Americans tuned in, and I think it was 1983... Uh, watched it at once. They had a whole PR campaign, put your kids to bed early, uh, which actually increased the number of people who actually Mm didn't watch it with their kids. Reagan's biographer later, several years um, later, said that um, Reagan got depressed for weeks. He watched in the White House uh, film uh, studio. And when the Reykjavik Accords happened, because they actually, I should mention, they aired the film the day after in the Soviet Union a few years later in 1987. Mm -hmm. And um, it scared basically the bejesus out of both the Russians and the U.S. Yeah,
1: it was quite something at the time.
0: And And it made visible and visceral the repressed idea of what we were actually facing. We actually had the power to destroy ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it made that visible and visceral for the first time. And the important point that we, we mentioned this AI Dilemma talk that we put online mm-hmm. is that after this, you know, one and a half hour, whatever it was, film, they aired a one hour debate where they had Carl Sagan and, um, you know, Henry Kissinger and Brent Scowcroft and um, Eli Wiesel, you know, who studied the Holocaust, um, uh, to really debate, like, what we were facing. Mm -hmm. And that was a democratic way of saying we don't want five people at the Department of Defense in Russia and the U.S. deciding whether humanity exists tomorrow or not. Yeah. And yeah. similarly, I think we need that kind of debate. So that's the idea. Well, I don't know about a TV broadcast. Well, you know, we I don't even work today.
1: Honestly, I don't. I think everyone is so— it, What's interesting is that was very effective. I, that's an interesting thing to talk about the day after because it did scare the bejesus. Watching Jason Robards disintegrate in real time was— yeah. Disturbing, but there was nothing like that, and now there is a lot like yeah. that, right? Everybody is constantly hit with information every day. We didn't; it was it was un- unique because we used to have a commonality that we don't have. So, you have gone on a Glenn Beck podcast, God save you, um, Brian Kilmead podcast. Um, we Brian, do a lot of
0: media across the board. Right, we just, exactly. we try, what, do we, they
1: react differently from your message than progressive audiences?
0: No, because I mean, again, actually, can
1: they split like progressive? Tech companies are bad. Well, um, let me say it differently. Conservatives, you know, surveillance and the deep state.
0: Well, exactly. Social media got polarized. So Mm -hmm. actually one of the reasons I'm doing a lot of media across Mm -hmm. the spectrum is I I have a deep fear that this will get unnecessarily politicized. Mm -hmm. We do not—that would be the worst thing to have happen is when there's deep risks for everybody. Mm -hmm. It does not matter which political beliefs you hold. Um, This really should bring us together. And so I— try to do media across the spectrum so that we can get universal consensus that this is a risk to everyone and everything and that the values that we have and people's ability to live in a future that we care about. I do this because I really want to live in a future mm-hmm. that kids can be raised and we can live in a good world like mm-hmm. this, as best as we can. We're facing a lot of dark outcomes. Right. There's a spectrum of those dark outcomes. Let's live on the lighter side of that spectrum rather than the darkest side where maybe the lights go out.
1: So I have one last question. How do you think the media has been covering it? Because there is a pressure if you cover it too negatively— it's like, oh, come on, don't you see the better, you know, are you missing the bigger picture? And I know from my personal experience, I'm so sick of being called the bummer by mm-hmm. or an irritant. It gets exhausting. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you do want to see maybe this time we can do it better. Yeah. Give me hope here because I definitely feel the pressure not to be so negative. And I still am. I don't care. And I think in the end, both of us were right. Back then, but it doesn't feel good being right.
0: Everything creates externalities, you mm-hmm. know, effects that show up on other people's balance sheets. If you're mm-hmm. a doomer and you think you're just communicating honestly, but you end up terrifying people, maybe some sh- shooters come around and they mm-hmm. start doing violent things because they've been, well, right. you know, terrorized by what you've shared. I think about it a lot. I think a lot about responsible communication. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a really important thing here, which is that there's kind of three psychological um, places that I think people are, are landing. Um, the first is what we call pre-tragic. I borrow this from a mentor, Daniel Schmachtenberger, who we've mm-hmm. done the Joe Rogan show with. A pre-tragic is someone who has actually doesn't want to look at the tragedy of whether it's climate or some of the AI issues that are facing us or, you know, social media having downsides. Any, any issue where there's actually, there is a tragedy, mm-hmm. but we don't want to metabolize the tragedy, so we stay in naive optimism. Mm-hmm. We I call this kind of person a pre-tragic person because mm-hmm. there's a kind of denial and repression of actual honest yeah. things that are facing us. Right. Because I want to believe, well, things always work out in the end. Humanity always figures it out. We muddle our way through. Yeah. Those things are partially true, too, but let's be really clear about the rest. Okay, so that's the pre-tragic. Then there's the person who then stares at the tragedy. And then people tend to get stuck in tragedy. You either get depressed, Mm -hmm. or you become nihilistic, or the other thing that can happen is you actually, it's too hard, and you bounce back into pre-tragic. You bounce back into, I'm going to just ignore that information, go back to my optimism, Mm -hmm. because it's just too hard Mm -hmm. to sit in the tragedy. There's a third place to go, which is we call post-tragic where you actually stare face-to-face with the actual constraints that are facing us, which actually means accepting and grieving through some of the realities that we are facing. I've done that work personally, and it's not about me. I just mean that I think it's a very hard thing to do. It's the humanity's rite of passage. You have to go through the dark night of the soul and be with that so you can be with the actual um, dimensions of the problems that we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Because then when you do solutions on the other side of that, when you're thinking about what do we 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 do, do now you're honest about the space. You're Mm -hmm. honest about what it would take to do something about it. So
1: you're not negative, but people will cast you as that. So
0: there's something called pre-trans fallacy where someone who's post-tragic can sound like someone uh, on the other side. It it can sound confusing. So I can sound like a doomer, but really it is, I'm trying to communicate clearly. People often ask me, like, am I an optimist?
1: No. (laughs) No. Had to ask, had to ask. You know, Sam Altman has his little home. I know he does.
0: <laughs> he I does. know
1: he does, yeah. <laughs> he wanted to ask me what was my uh, plan. You know, just joking, we were joking around about it. I said, well, you're smaller than I. I'm going to beat you up and take your things and take your whole plan. <laughs> He's se- like, that's se- a good se- plan. 50000 <laughs> or whatever <laughs> yeah. it is. Yeah, I was like, he goes, that's a good plan. I go, it's an excellent plan. Yeah. I think I can take you um, if, th- if think, it came to that.
0: I think we need to get good at holding each other through to the post-tragic. I don't know what that looks like, but yeah. I know that that's what guides me and what we're trying to do. And if, if there's anything that I think I want to get even better at is um, it's, it's hard once you take people through all these things to carry them through to the other sort of side.
1: Right, because they get hopeless. They get hopeless. Yeah, you can be hopeless. After that thing, I, I came back. I'm like, we are— Fucked yeah. Like, we were so, you know, after that thing. And I thought, that's not going to go over well because most people hide in, other, in, in on Instagram or right. TikTok. That doesn't and just, feel good. Let
0: me run away from myself again. Let me exactly. scroll a bunch of photos. This is going to be a difficult time. Um, the more we can go through and see the thing together, I think part of being post-tragic is actually um, going through it with each other. Like, being there with each other as we go through it. Well, I'm not saying that just as a bullshit throwaway line. I really mean it. I think... We need to be there for each other.
1: All right, post-tragic hand-in-hand. Here we go, Tristan. Let's do it. Thank you. Okay, Thanks. thanks. Today's show was produced by Naima Raza Blake Nishik, Christian Castro-Russell, and Megan Burney. Special thanks to Mary Mathis. Our engineers are Fernando Aruda and Rick Kwan. Our theme music is by Trackademics. If you're already following this show, welcome to the world of post-tragedy, hey, it could be worse. If not, it's a high P-doom for you. Go wherever you listen to podcasts, search for On With Kara Swisher and hit follow. Thanks for listening to On With Kara Swisher from New York Magazine, the Vox Media Podcast Network, and us. We'll be back on Monday with more.